podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, patrons. This is Ask the Minimalists number 36. What's up, y'all? This is for the true fans. And the VIPs. And the VIPs. The people that we really care about. Don't tell our other patrons, but you're yeah. our favorite patrons. Indeed. Uh, we have a question <laughs> here from Kayla. What do you all think about the FIRE movement? Oh, financial independence retire early, right? Yes. Yeah, I love it. I think it's a great movement, and I think it encourages people, especially kids uh, who are coming out of high school, and they're technically young adults, but you know, I still look at them as kids. It teaches them to make good decisions based on uh you know b- based on the tools they're given right out right outside of, of high school of being able to go into massive amounts of debt uh that fire attitude helps um helps kids make good decisions people it helps people make good decisions in general but i think specifically for like a high schooler to take on that fire attitude is really advantageous i'm i'm all for making better decisions with your money mm-hmm. and if the fire movement helps you do that i think that's great ryan and i were in the documentary about uh, the fire movement it's called playing with fire and uh, we had one of the producers travis shakespeare mm-hmm. on the podcast uh, you can check out his episode we did with him as well there are some things i disagree with uh, with the fire movement with hmm. respect to debt i don't i don't i think there's no such thing as good debt oh, right. sometimes they do the things with credit cards that i i don't feel good about with the 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 points and, and other things however I, it's it's on the margins and, it, and they don't really believe in racking up a bunch of debt or anything like that well you know here's the thing is you and i when it comes to debt we are firm believers and there's no such thing as good debt. Right. But if we could wave a magic wand and make debt illegal, I mean, we wouldn't do that. At least I wouldn't do that. No, but I would in my own life. Like It's, it's exactly. illegal for me. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And, yeah. and so I do, I, I wave that magic wand all the time and mm-hmm. say it's illegal for me to have debt. And, and so I'm not going to impose that on someone else. And so what I think about the FIRE movement, I think it works great for a lot of people. Uh, however, I also don't put money first. Even in retirement, I, I, I look at all my other resources as well. And, but I do think the money component is an important component of yeah, all of this. I think that the fire movement, it, it is a money first type thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, well, you know what? Though? I mean, it's, but I think you can, you can incorporate the fire philosophy into your life without putting money first. Yes, you can. <clears throat> so it's just like Dave Ramsey. It's a very, mo- it's a very money first driven philosophy but it's because his he talks specifically about money it's not just all about money for him right he talks about giving as well right, right? Yeah. And, and and i think that also the the dave ramsey approach is a little bit more militant with respect to debt but also it's more militant with respect to giving you know, yeah he says live like no one else so eventually you can live and give like no one else bill yeah. has a question for us can you talk about minimalism and how it relates to food? We recorded a podcast episode called Minimalist Diets with uh, Dr. Paul Saladino and Rich Roll and uh, Tommy Wood, uh, Dr. Tommy Wood. And I would encourage you to check that out. I would also encourage you to check out the episode we did recently with uh, Max Lugavere. Mm-hmm. That, that one That's is uh, a very holistic approach. He wrote a book called Genius Foods and uh, a more recent book called The Genius Life. And so I would say check those out. If you want to deep dive, because no one can agree on what healthy is, even the experts. And, and so if you want a nuanced approach, I would say dive into both of those. Yeah. No, I think with, you know, just like with our stuff, 
uh, with minimalism being deliberate with the things we bring into our lives. We have to be deliberate with the foods we eat and the foods that we bring into our lives. And just like stuff, what's appropriate for me may not be appropriate for Josh. And we have to figure out what is appropriate for us. But that's what simplicity and that's what minimalism helps us do. It helps us figure out what is appropriate for our lives. Yeah, because if we're not questioning what we bring into our houses or put into our bodies, then we're not living deliberately. Yep. Jacob says, as a mountain biker myself, I wondered if Ryan always kept an eye out uh, for new technologies and race gear as it moves so fast. It's always hard to resist the upgrades when some new leaps in technologies appear. Mm. As it as it, as it's something that gives gives value in life, do you leap in and allow it to restrict yourself as the one you have done as you man as the one you have does the job okay so uh i spent a lot of money up front for my mountain bike uh-huh. so i didn't have to upgrade it yes so i have a very uh very high quality mountain bike that um that I will never need, I shouldn't say never, but it'll be years and years and years and years before I ever have to replace it. Uh, I am a very novice mountain biker. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) new pedals or new gears or different helmet is not gonna help me be a better mountain biker. Mm -hmm. In fact, my helmet, uh, my mountain, the helmet I I wear for mountain biking also doubles as my snowboarding helmet. Mm -hmm. So if anything, I try to find gear that'll do both. Yeah, uh, both sports. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the temptation to upgrade because I'm very honest with myself on how good of a mountain biker I was. Now, if I was like, did it for a profession, like yeah, there might be. Oh yeah, those those pedals are two ounces lighter, mm-hmm. and maybe it would make a difference. Um, but that's going to be the exception. Uh, you know, the rule is I have high quality stuff, so I don't need to replace it. That's why I got high quality stuff. You also don't confuse those tools for the activity itself. Right. And I think that's where we, with a lot of these things, it can Mm. be camping. I I really noticed this with novice photographers Mm. or people who just get into photography for the first time. They think if I could just get the right camera, then I will take the right picture. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you this. Some of our closest friends, we run a business with Joshua and Sarah Weaver. They're two talented, very talented photographers. We've flown them to different cities to take pictures of us in the past. In fact, if you look at like the some of our book covers, if you're watching this, like this this cover for Essential, they they took this photo. Mm -hmm. They took the author photo that's on the back of the book. Yep. And what we have done with them is they will take photos sometimes with an iPhone that's better than anything that even some amateur good photographers, actually, you know what? Screw that. I've seen Weaver, Joshua Weaver, take photos with an iPhone that are better than most professional photographers take with their phone. Totally agree. Because it's not about the tool as much as it is about the craft. We're not even talking about like the latest and greatest iPhone either. No, I'm talking iPhone 6 kind right. of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's less about the tool and it's more about how you use it. Well, I remember asking him about, uh, hey, what's your like, what's your personal camera that you have, you know, that uh, if you're not doing a professional shoot, like what are you using? And he just pulled out, he's like this and he pulls out his phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is better than anything you're going to get. Yeah. Like yeah. the only reason you would need to get anything more is if you were a professional. And it's the same thing with mountain biking. Yeah. 
The only reason you're going to need to upgrade is if you're a professional. So if you're professional, it means you get paid to to do the mountain biking. Exactly. And guess what? If you don't get paid to do the mountain biking, you're probably fine with just about any mountain bike that is uh, run of the mill. And and if you want to upgrade to a specific specification, that's all on you. Uh, But also realize most of it's in your head. Yeah. All right. We've got a question here from Katie. Minimum. Discuss minimalist vacation, minimalist family vacations. Mm. So let me let me just say this. Personally, I'm not a fan of vacations um, <laughs> or family. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For fairly, uh, I have abstruse reasons for both of these. Um, but let, let me try to explain. Um, to me, a minimalist vacation is one that is heavy on experiences that are memorable mm-hmm. and. and is different from a um, a run-of-the-mill week for me. However, let me say this. I don't think it... Here's the real minimalist vacation, Ryan, in my opinion. Bex and I, every other Thursday, I take the day off. And mm-hmm. on the calendar, you guys see it. It says, JFM, do not disturb. Mm-hmm. Every other Thursday. And honestly, most of the time, it's the only day I take off in two weeks. Um, I enjoy working. Work doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like play. And, and so it's not all. Like yesterday I took off. Well, actually, that's not true. I probably worked for about an hour in the morning before Ella got up. Anyway, I, so it's not that I'm working 90 hours a week or anything like that. But I, I work a few hours every day, even on, on my so-called off days. But every other Thursday, I take the day off. And, and phone goes in the drawer or in uh, my console in the car or whatever. And... Bex and I will do something that we wouldn't do throughout the week. Now, it could be as simple as go to Squirrel and read a copy of the Paris Review. And uh, Here's the thing, though, Ryan. It doesn't matter what we do. Mm-hmm. It matters that we're together and that we could do anything right. together. And so if you, f- you find the right person to go with, then any vacation is a minute. Anything is a minimalist vacation. Yeah. Me going to, it's my favorite days of the week. And we just go to squirrel or we just go to a park and sit down and read. It's not about what we're doing. It's about who we're doing it with. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the way I took the question is, is they were asking for cheap vacation ideas. Yeah. And I would say if you're just aiming for a cheap vacation, that's, that's not minimalist. It's cheap. Yeah. And we're not the cheapest. yeah and we're not even i mean even though you and i can be relatively frugal we're not the frugalists either right in the sense that yes it we we do consider money and i don't want to overspend on anything of course but sometimes i will overspend on something because i'm getting commiserate quality with that overspending but the vast majority of the things that you do and for mariah and i what we do for that matter it 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 doesn't cost a lot of money or anything yeah like we're yeah we're focused on how can we spend time together how can we strengthen our relationship not okay uh how can we get to paris on a on a dime budget yeah totally agree all right we have alexis how did becoming minimalist change or evolve your views on religion, morality, and Ooh. the meaning of life? I love talking religion. Yeah, I like this one. So, so uh, meaning of life, I think if there is, I, I'm not really a nihilist, although I think if, uh, if I, I, I don't, so I think life is, 
I think we can find meaning in life. I don't think life is inherently meaningful. Yeah. I make dude. that distinction. Yeah. And, and so uh, well, wh- yeah. what does it mean to live a meaningful life to me? Uh, so since becoming a minimalist, and I felt this way since around age 29 or age 30 when we first dove into this minimalism thing, I think to live a meaningful life, you need to be able to grow as a person, continue to evolve. And I, 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 wanna, I want to caveat this responsible growth there's two types of growth there's good book growth and bad growth mm-hmm. a tumor is bad it's growth, growth. Yeah, it's, yeah but it's bad right, right. Uh, and then re- growing responsibly is like going to the gym and your muscles grow right there's a responsible way to grow mm-hmm. it's with intention and then also i think it's to serve others to, to contribute beyond yourself in a meaningful way and so that to me is the meaning of life you get to figure out what the meaning of your life is it may be different from that but i think it's a good starting point yeah I mean, for me, the biggest thing is not expecting to be happy all the time. Like, uh, <clears throat> I I saw minimalism as this path to happiness, but then going down that path, I realized like, oh, there there's not an there's not this end goal of happiness. Like, happiness happens along the way, and uh, and we've talked about this before about how we used to chase happiness and we'd get a promotion and we'd have it for a second. And then we'd buy a new car and then we'd have happiness again for a second. Um, but that's life. Happiness is ephemeral. So, you know, I don't focus on happiness anymore as much as I focus on living a meaningful life. And for me, it's, you know, my short-term actions aligning with my my long-term values and, and beliefs. And because c- I know that I'm not going to regret those decisions when it may not make me happy, but I know I'm not going to experience any hindsight regret by making decisions that align with those values and beliefs when it comes to religion i mean we've done podcasts on religion yeah we we did one with rob bell who's going to be back on the podcast soon yeah and minimalism hasn't really changed my view on religion as much as life has kind of changed my view on religion um you know my religion is uh don't be a dick (laughs) (laughs) and try to love other people which really just kind of goes back to don't be a dick um yeah, it's it's unfortunate that people use religion the same reason uh, or the same way that people use the Constitution, mm-hmm. the right to be an asshole to batter people right. with their righteousness. Right, and uh, yeah, that's that that's not a minimalism lesson. That's just a lesson that I've I've learned throughout life. Well, actually, it's funny. I and I want to talk to Rob Bell about this, so I won't spoil it here. But I will say he'll be back on the podcast on on. Uh, this will be his third appearance, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, September fifteenth of twenty twenty. He has a new book coming out, and so he'll be out. He'll be on the podcast that day as well. It's called "Everything Is Spiritual." Is the book, and I want to talk to him about how his because he's definitely he went from being a mega church pastor. I don't even know what his beliefs are now. Mm. Like, does he believe in an afterlife? I don't know. He, mm. Here, I'll tell you my own, and, and we can get into this more on that podcast. Let me just say this. I've become less militant over the last, and I'm just going to, this is just for the patrons, and this is just a small sliver of the patrons, right. in fact. Um, when we first, so I grew up Catholic, but I never believed in God. Yeah. Even when I was three, I, I was like, this is, the, I don't I don't understand. Sure, are a lot of pictures of you praying, though. Well, I know. My mom <laughs> had me pray a lot, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think she would, like posed me so to pray so she could take pictures. Now my mom was hyper religious, but yes. she would never. She was never righteous. She was never ever righteous. Yeah. Uh, and I think that so I had a good view of of Christians growing up in particular because that was our our particular religion, Catholicism. And so I I, I saw my mom who was hyper religious 
but she was never battering me with her religion ever. And when I when I was a teen, I stopped wanting to go to church. She didn't make me keep going. Uh, and there was a time in my uh, late 20s, early 30s where Sam Harris came along and that, that sort of militant view of atheism was really appealing to me because I was... Um, I'm very logical and sort of left-brained and I want everything to have an explanation and there should be a why behind all of it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm being honest with myself, the things that are most appealing to me are many of the mysteries of life, Mm. the things that can't be explained. And so when we have people like Erwin McManus on our podcast, who is a pastor of a, a mega church, uh, mosaic and he's going to be our next documentary or we have rob bell who's a former pastor and i don't really know what his views are anymore but he believes everything is spiritual and and then uh, i'm i'm very intrigued by compassionate christians and and so in a way i would say i've become if not more spiritual more religious in my late 30s but in a way that is not I respect the liturgical nature of religion, meaning the there's something that churches provide in terms of community mm-hmm. that I you, I don't I haven't been able to find anywhere else. Yeah. There are other places that can mimic it, and, and and you and I have often talked like, man, and this whole COVID thing really screwed things up, and so so has my health. But um, well, imagine if we could do a a weekly gathering around principles, yeah. that aren't dogmatic in any way right and those are my favorite christians by the way uh, erwin mcmanus there, there's a reason that 20 percent of his church thousands of people are atheists that go to his church right he provides a community but he also helps bring people into yeah even if you're not religious living like jesus seems like a pretty great thing yeah no and, i totally agree and so i think there's a lot of lessons to, to learn there well you know what's interesting is with religion specifically like the the strict dogmatic here are the rules religions is they don't encourage you to figure out what works for you. Yes. They're basically like, Hey, here's what works. And if it doesn't work for you, well then you're probably being influenced by Satan, the devil. (laughs) So uh, what I like about minimalism is it helps you figure out what works for you. And uh, that's to me is a better religion than, you know, doing what a, you know, what a, what a, bunch of priests are telling you to do well in minimalism like i'm the devil right meaning like sure i'm making the bad decisions like the buck stops with me yeah i I can't pass this off on someone else and i although i i'm not completely uh alone like Mm. yes i have been preached to by advertisers to worship at the altar of consumerism Mm -hmm. but ultimately the buck does stop with me and if i purchase that thing that's my fault do one thing that a theory I have about the whole God and devil thing and minimalism, maybe it helped me come to this, but like to your point though, humanity, humans in general have an, they have an issue with accepting the evil in them. Mm-hmm. So when something bad happens, when they make a bad choice, they can't just look in the mirror and say, I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people look in the mirror, oh, if it wasn't for the devil, I wouldn't have done that. Like they have to uh, point the finger. But the same thing is true with the goodness that happens. It's like when something amazing happens, when something really awesome happens, all glory to God, all glory to God. Mm-hmm. You can't look in the mirror and be like, wow, like that's something I did. It's There's something about us having to absolve ourselves of responsibility, not just for the bad, but also the good. Now, 
again, that's just like a kind of a theory that I've, you know, I kind of play with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it, it, I totally agree. It's like we have to take responsibility for the evil that happens in our lives. And we also have to take responsibility for the good that happens in our lives. Right. Right. And also you at the same time doing that without ego. So you could say, right. I, yes. There's a lot of luck that goes into everything, including bad luck. Right. Yeah. But I'm also not a constant victim just as I'm not a constant victor either. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it's not, uh, the world is awesome because I'm awesome. Right. But it's not also the world is terrible because everyone's out to get me. Exactly. Even if everyone is out to get you, guess what? Advertisers, they are out to get you. Right. They're out there to extract the money from your checking account. Mm-hmm. But ultimately you get to make that final decision. Yeah. You get to let them in or keep them at bay. Yeah. Mick asks if you could only pick two albums to listen to on a road trip which two would you choose Mm. you introduced me to rustin kelly's dying star album that quickly became one of my favorites i discover most of my new music through your added values all right cool nice i got two yeah i couldn't pick two yeah i i can't so parlor hawk's second album it's Mm -hmm. their uh eponymous second album Mm -hmm. parlor hawk Mm -hmm. and it's probably my favorite album of all time and we're really lucky to have drew and nate uh, they they formed a so Nate is a producer of all music in Provo, Utah, basically, uh, and and Drew is the lead singer of Parlor Hawk, and they made the soundtrack for our first film, Minimalism. Uh, that's how I got to know Drew and become friends with him, is because I begged them for six months to do this because it was like my favorite. Mm-hmm music so i'm like well if i can get my favorite music on our film that should be great they came together for the the second film as well less is now they brought in rob who is part of the band now and it's amazing what they're able to do with music so i I would say that and then i can tell you my favorite album of the last decade was probably saint john's album ghetto lenny's love songs Mm. it's like the saint john album it's bex and i were listening to it yesterday driving back from the beach and it was um I, I don't know. It, it's one of those albums that it's just, it makes you feel like, I don't know. It just puts this energy in your body. makes mm. you feel great. Uh, some runners up for me. Um, there's a guy named Black who had an album called Free Black, which is amazing. Uh, recently, Ken Yates' new album, Quiet Talkers, is great. And then, of course, Canyon City, our friend Canyon City. Uh, yeah. His album, Constellation, I think is a perfect album. I couldn't pick two albums, man. Because it's like, I really love like, uh, I love all genres of music. Same. So it's like the wall is an amazing, like that's one of my very first, it's the first cassette I ever wore out twice, you know, cause like you listen to cassettes long enough and like eventually you have to get another one cause yeah. it rubs all the, the, like it just starts stopping for no reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like the wall is really good. Uh, like the white album by the Beatles is a really good one. Mm. But then also, uh, like that, um, Oh, what is his name? Uh, Har- Jack Harlow. Mm-hmm. Like that first album he had. Gazebo. Is, in, is in, insane. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of... His uh, new music, not so much, but that first album, is, yeah. there's something special, man. Khalid. That, yeah, that's... I mean, his first album was amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. What was it called? American Teen? Yeah. Uh... uh, uh oh, man. Um, Bloom. He just... He, his. He's like one of the... F- Troy Sivan? Yeah, Troy Sivan. His first album was awesome, too. Uh-huh. But his second album was really good, also. See, I couldn't get into the second one, um, but that first one was called Blue, maybe? Yeah, I think it is Blue. Yeah. Blue Neighborhood. 
A blue neighborhood, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so good. And then you've got uh you've got um black is it Black Bear? No. Yeah, Andrew Bell. Yeah, is that this is the album Black Bear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like Black Bear is amazing. And then that album he came out with five years later was so I mean I just couldn't yeah. pick two albums. Are you kidding me? I know, right? It is as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Bridget has a question for us. Anniversaries. Actually, let's skip Bridget. She only got one like on this one. I'm going to go to some really popular upvoted questions. Sorry, Bridget. Next time, next time. Actually, I answered you on on the, uh, the we did, thread. We so did, yeah, you're good to go. And we've talked about anniversaries before. Yeah, Stacy says I would like you to interview some quote older individuals, at least sixty, uh, both male and female, to hear about minimalism and retirement. What did they do wrong? What did they do right? What would they change? What advice? Do they have for someone getting ready to retire? I, mean, I know we've had. Well, I, my, so my response to that is we, we had quite a few over 60 guests. Yeah, for sure. Erwin uh, McManus and Diane Capaldi both come to mind immediately. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, after the COVID lockdown, we have some people in mind. Um, but with the fact that we, you know, we, people who are older than 60 are, especially people over 70, are in a, a group that is, is vulnerable, a mm-hmm. high vulnerability group. So we to be really careful with that. We're doing our podcast in studio. So we have to be careful with that. But also, um, the nice thing about our next film that's coming out is we have people from all over. This, like we have teenagers and we have people in their 60s and 70s who are yeah. in, in this next film. They're what we're calling everyday minimalists. Uh, we were calling them amateurs for a while because we had ex- experts and then we had amateurs. But really, they're just everyday minimalists. Yeah. And so you'll see some additional perspectives there as well. Let's see if we got any more heavily upvoted ones here. Um, hmm. Oh, here's one. Good day. This is one is from Good day. Uh Yulia Yulia with a with a Y. Yulia. Yulia. Good day. How to strike a good balance between technology use and offline time during the pandemic. <clears throat> oh, mm. that's one that I struggle with. Dude. I don't know. Maybe you have a uh, you have a uh, a question or an answer for me. No, I don't, dude. I mean, my answer is in the mornings, uh I've been trying to go out and hang out on the balcony. We have a hammock. I'll chill out, um, but it's it's such a easy pacifier, man. So uh, you know, I guess ultimately, I you know, I could sit here and go through the rules that Mariah and I try to instill, um, but we don't always adhere to those rules. So, but but I think that's what it comes down to with the technology during the pandemic. Like, yeah. you have to decide what an appropriate amount of technology is uh, is for you to use each day and try to set up some boundaries. Um, it's funny, like actually having this question makes me reconsider the boundaries that we, we have. And like, how can I even make those boundaries better? Like, do we unplug the internet for six hours a day? I don't know. I've been really fortunate because COVID hit when I was finishing the tech. Well, so there's a chapter in, in love people use things. And originally it was two separate chapters. It was creative. There was a, our relation. So this is a relationship book, but one is our relationship with creativity. Mm-hmm. And the other chapter was going to be our relationship with technology. Mm-hmm. But then I realized like, no, what this chapter is really about is our relationship with distractions because the thing that gets in the way of our creativity, the only reason that we aren't creative mm-hmm. is because we distract ourselves with consumption. Mm. And what is our biggest weapon of mass? Uh, mass distraction 
<laughs> Are they going to say mass consumption? No, mass distraction yeah. is the weapons of mass distraction. It's technology. Yeah. yeah. And so I, as I was writing this, the pandemic hit and I had to start doing revising some of the, the stoical experiments from the past and also coming to terms with a few things. Like if I lived on my own, I wouldn't have home internet. Me either. At all. Mariah There's, does like online coding. Uh-huh. And like this is what she, you know, she's trying to freelance with this stuff. So it's like we tried to go without internet. It was making her life miserable. Yeah. But dude, I agree with you. Like if I was... If I was living by myself, I wouldn't have internet either. I did. I did it for five years, by the way. As a, it started as a one-month experiment, sorry, one-weekend experiment, turned mm-hmm. into a month, which turned into five very productive years. And uh, I find time at home is less productive because here's what I would prefer to do: I would prefer to be at home and reading. To me, I, I, I get the most long-term contentment from reading, and. and it, it is it is active. It is actively engaged. It's not a passive experience. But it requires me to not pacify myself, not distract myself. But it's yeah. easier to just to get on YouTube or or to you know do what it's easier to check email. Yeah. Be reactive. I don't want to be reactive. I want it to be active. Yeah. And so um, I've tried a few experiments. One is I put three rules in place for TV viewing. Uh, it's not watching more than three hours a week. Mm-hmm. It's to never watch it alone mm-hmm. and um, to schedule at least 24 hours in advance. Sure. And if I do those three things, I mean, you basically can't watch TV, right? Because right. if you have those three filters there, mm-hmm. it makes it much more difficult. But then it also makes it more intentional when you are doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some other things like hiding the Wi-Fi password experiment mm-hmm. so that Bex and Ella can still use the home internet. But I, I don't, yeah, so that's an option that you can put out there. <laughs> Let me see that tablet, Ella. It's <laughs> <laughs> mine. I paid for that tablet. Yeah. Uh, but here's an essay for you. It's called Too Many Screens. I think this would be the best way to wrap up this Ask the Minimalist Anything episode. And this is from our website, theminimalists.com slash screens. You may have looked perplexed if 20 years ago someone would have told you that we'd spend most of our days glued to our glowing screens, that we'd blur the lines between work and home, that our connectedness would disconnect us from what matters. It would have sounded dystopian, yet we agreed to it. Not all at once, but gradually. One supposed improvement at a time. A screen on your wall, a screen at your desk, a screen in your pocket, a screen on your lap, a screen in your hand, a screen on your wrist. Every night in America is like a competition to see how many screens we can get between our face and the wall. Ronnie Chang observed in his recent Netflix comedy special. While we may have won this competition, we've lost something important. Mm. If our innovations get in the way of a life worth living, are they actually degenerations? What happens when the colors on our screens are more vivid, but our lives are increasingly grayscale? When we upgrade our tech but downgrade everything meaningful. When the ceaseless grow, glow brightens but our joy and purpose dim. At what point do we turn it off? And I think that's the question many of us are asking right now, especially during COVID. At what point do we turn it off? Because scrolling is the new smoking. Mm-hmm. And we see it now. 
We see the absurdity of it, but only in other people. We don't hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, how absurd is this? But thankfully, that's what some people are doing. When you ask a question like this, what you're saying is, I see the absurdity in my own behavior. Mm. And it's no longer a mistake. It's a bad decision if I keep going down this road and keep embracing the distractions, keep embracing the glowing screen. Mm. Is it actually preventing me from living a meaningful life? I think it's a great place to end it. Patrons. And, now's a, and now's a good time to implement that and turn off all your screens right now. <laughs> <laughs> Love y'all. Thank you so much. Love people. Use things. The Minimalists. <laughs>